the following message entitled Love is Greater Than Liberty. Part 12 of the series, O Church Arise, was given by Bob Mundorf on the 15th of May, 2016. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. We are in a series in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're coming to a point today in where we're in chapter 8. The title of this message is Love is Greater Than Liberty. Love is greater than liberty. Let's begin by asking God to help us this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word that really is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Father, um, we just declare our dependence upon you for guiding us and instructing us through your word this morning. And we know that love is one of the greatest callings for us as Christians. And we thank you that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us so that we might have life and be able to love like him. And we just pray that as a result of this message and this chapter this morning, that you would help us to do that. Help us to love like Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. I want to start off with a, a story, something that I remember from elementary school. I went to elementary school not far from here in Armagh at United Elementary School. And I remember when I was in the third grade, when we got off the school bus, there was this long sidewalk that, that led to the doors of the school. And like most sidewalks, there was a, a, a crack or a line every three feet or so. And um, like a lot of third graders, we always gave this little rhyme. You remember that old rhyme, step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back. And so... You could, you could always tell who really cared about their moms by the way they walked into the school. So they would be awkwardly stepping over the lines. And, you know, I, we probably knew that that wasn't really true. But, like, when you're eight and you love your mom, you play it safe, right? So, that's what we did. But, there's always one guy in the crowd for us. His name was Rusty. And Rusty made it a point to not only step on every crack, but to jump on every crack and stomp on every crack and laugh meanly when he did it. And uh, there was, there was, I remember there was this little girl named Cindy. And Cindy really had a hard time with that. Cindy must have cared for mother's backs everywhere because she would cry. She would literally cry when she saw Rusty jumping on those cracks. Cindy had a t tender conscience. And, you know, maybe Rusty, I don't know why he was doing it. Maybe he knew, he probably knew that it wasn't really breaking mom's backs, but he did it anyway. So it was, it was, it was lawful for him to do it, I guess, but it wasn't, it wasn't helpful, especially for Cindy with the, the very tender, sensitive conscience. Well, the reason I bring this story up is because that's what this chapter reminds me of in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, the, the Corinthians were experiencing similar things. There were some Rusties and there were some Cindys in the church at Corinth. And um, there were people who were doing things that really it was okay. They were exercising their Christian rights, but they were doing it without considering how it was affecting their brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we head into this chapter, the big idea that that we're going to see through this whole chapter is this. The big idea is being right matters, but loving people matters even more. 
Loving others means laying down our rights for them, just like Christ did for us. Being right matters, but loving people matters more. Loving others means laying down our rights for them, just like Christ did for us. So as we go through this chapter, 13 verses, I'm going to just stop every once in a while, review and give you guys a takeaway to just remember. If you want to take notes, you can write those down. But let's just head right into it. Chapter 8, verse 1, starts off by saying, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So the first thing we notice here heading into verse 1 is the subject that this is about, that this issue is about. And Paul says, concerning food offered to idols. So we're going to see that this the issue in Corinth at that time had to do with eating meat. And it was about eating meat that was offered to idols. So here's a little bit of background. What was going on in Corinth? Corinth was um, an idolatrous city. So they had, just adjust this. They had um, a lot of idol temples in the city. And these temples were there were, there were idols, you know, carved images, statues in these temples that people believed were false gods. They believed they were gods. They were false gods, but people believed they were really gods. And they would take animals in and sacrifice them to these idols. And they had to do something. This happened a lot because there were a lot of temples in Corinth and there were a lot of sacrifices going on every day. So they had to do something with these animals after they would sacrifice them to the, to the false gods. And so a lot of animals ended up being sold to the butcher, the local marketplace. And they didn't want to waste all this meat, so the butcher just added it in with his, with his meat and sold it. And so it was really hard in Corinth to go buy meat or go to a restaurant and, and know exactly what you were getting, whether you were getting a meat that was from a farm or meat that was sacrificed to a false god. And so... Um, an issue, an issue rose in Corinth where there were two, two groups kind of that, that rose up in the church and were conflicting with one another. And one group, one group were those who previously were worshiping these idols. They were converted out of these idolatrous religions. And for them, they, they, they couldn't eat this meat with a clear conscience. It, uh, they couldn't do it before the Lord, they had a real hard time with it. And you can understand why. But then there were other Christians in Corinth who, they said, they, they really thought about this and they said, hey, meat is just meat. I mean, this is just a, a burger. This is just a steak. The, the molecular structure of this meat didn't change. There's not like a, a false god living in it. And, I, and, and they, they came to that conclusion because they realized, hey, idols are just wood or stone, right? This isn't a real God. The idol Apollo isn't some real God. It's fake. And so they knew that. And so they're logically connecting the dots and they're thinking, idols are wood and stone. Meat is meat. We can eat this stuff. It's fine. It's fine to eat it. So this letter that we're looking at, 1 Corinthians, in particularly chapter 8, is a response to a lot of Bible scholars think response to a letter that the Corinthians wrote to the Apostle Paul. They were looking for apostolic direction. They were saying, hey Paul, we've got this issue 
And here's what it is, what I just explained. Can you help us? So Paul writes back, and that's what we're looking at in chapter 8, concerning food offered to idols. He says, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, notice the quotes here. The quotes aren't in the original language, but we see Paul has all of us possess knowledge in quotes that the translators believe that he was quoting them from their letter, from their question. He, they, they perhaps said, Paul, listen, all of us have knowledge. We know that this meat is just meat. And Paul's saying, okay, we know that all of us possess knowledge. And he's going to respond to that. But before we look at his response, he goes on to explain a little bit more of what they were saying in verses 4 through 6. So let's just look at that now. Verses 4 through 6. He says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. We see quotes there. So scholars think that's what these Corinthians were saying. Idol has no real existence. And that there is no God but one. In other words, we know these idols are just wood or stone. And Paul says, you're exactly right. Verses 5 and 6, he says, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and lords, small g, small l. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom, all things, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So right here Paul's saying, you're right. There is one God. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ. And he is... He is reminding them that Jesus Christ is, he's the Lord, he's uncreated. And every created thing that was made was created through him. So none of these idols are real. A God is someone who is uncreated and has created everything else, and there is only one. So Paul's saying, your, your premise is right. There is one God, these idols aren't real. And apparently some of the Corinthians who, who wrote this letter and asked this question knew this. So on the basis of this knowledge, they had this conviction that they could eat this meat. So it makes sense so far. It's pretty simple. It's, uh, it sounds like it's pretty cut and dry at this point. They're not real. The meat is meat. Let's eat it, right? But it's not that simple. It's not that cut and dry. It's not that black and white. Paul goes on. In the, in the end of verse 1, and says th that knowledge, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So he's coming out of the gate pretty strong, saying it's not that simple. I want you to know knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, that means it inflates a person. It makes them arrogant. Knowledge, having knowledge, knowing something, and this definitely applies to knowing something about doctrine, because that's the context here, it, it can make a person puffed up. That's all about self. Now, here's, Paul isn't saying, and we're going to see this throughout, that knowledge is wrong. As a matter of fact, we're commanded in 2 Peter 3.18 to grow in our knowledge. Knowledge isn't wrong, but his point here is that knowledge without love is it makes a person arrogant. It makes a person proud. It puffs a person up. Puffed up means you're all about self. 
It's like, look at me. Look at what I know. I know this and you don't. It's almost like saying you're a moron because you don't know this stuff. I do. And that's the kind of attitude that was coming out of the Corinthians. We're even told back in chapter 5. They were acting arrogant. So knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Building up is about others. While puffed up is about self, building up is about others. And love is all about others. Love is all about building others up. It's a, it's a relational thing. So love is about relationships. And this made me think of a puffer fish. I remember on Finding Nemo when I was watching it with my kids, there's that puffer fish. I think they're real puffer fish too that blow up. They just get real big like a balloon and they have these spikes on them. You guys see those before? At least on Finding Nemo. And they, this, but they, they are real actually because I remember I looked, I looked it up and, and it said that, um, that they have toxic spikes. They have toxins in them. And you think of a pufferfish when it blows up and these spikes stick out. Those things are toxic. And that's like what a person who has a lot of Bible knowledge and lets you know about that but doesn't have love is like abrasive and toxic. If love is missing, it's just like one of those pufferfish. You don't even want to get near it. It's all about them and you get hurt and injured with a knowledgeable person that doesn't have love. I, uh, I mentioned this before in a message, but I, one of the things that uh, I used to do as a teen, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to expose my redneck roots again, um, used to, my buddies and I would go to junkyards, and we, would, uh, we did this a few times, not like we did it every day, but we, we'd go to junkyards and we would ask the guy if he had anything that ran that he would sell for under $100, so we would put all of our money together and uh, we bought this one 1978 Ford Fiesta, which is a little tiny car. We paid $75 for it, and it ran. And we named her Sally. She was a blast. It was fun. We, just, we didn't drive these things on public roads. We just drove them in the woods. And uh, there, was, uh, there was this one spot on the trails where we drove Sally. And it, the, the motorcycle guys used to ride here. And they had this, these two jumps really close together called the Whoop-de-Doos. And we took Sally over the whoop de doos one time. And uh, we were going pretty fast. I mean, I don't, I'm not recommending that you teens do this. Unless you're redneck teens, then you will be fine. But, um, so we, we took Sally over the jump, and it was really fun. When she came down, she came down on her nose, and there was like a mud hole there, and she landed right in that, and it kind of stopped for a minute or a couple seconds, and then slowly went down and hit really hard. And we thought, oh, Sally died. But she started back up and pulled out of the mud. And we went a couple hundred yards, and then she did die. And we couldn't figure it out. We looked at the engine. We looked all over. Couldn't get her started again. It wasn't more, I think a few days, maybe a week later, we were up there messing around, and the, the, the mud hole had dried up a little bit, and there was a gas tank sticking out, exposed. So, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because, you know, Sally was great. She was a good car. But without gas, without a gas tank, she was worthless. She didn't even move. That's all Paul's saying here. Knowledge is good. But without love, it's worthless. And he even goes on in chapter 13, verse 2, and, and makes this really clear. He says, and I, 
If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. You can have all knowledge. You can know everything about everything in Scripture. And a lot of Pharisees did back in this day. They didn't have love. It's, it's, the, it's the essential ingredient that makes the church work and that makes us that makes us loving. It makes us right. So you, you might be right, but you're not really right if you don't have love. So the takeaway from this, the takeaway right here in this, this part is being right matters, but relationships matter even more. The Corinthians needed to understand that. Being right matters. Paul's not saying knowledge is bad, but relationships matter even more. So Paul's going to go on in verse 2 to put the know-it-alls in their place. Verse 2, he says this, If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. And what this means is that if somebody thinks that they've exhausted knowledge on a certain biblical topic, if somebody thinks that they know everything about this certain doctrine, and they can't learn anymore, they don't really know anything. Because the Scripture commands us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that's something that all of us can do. None of us have arrived. And so you need to have a humble attitude when we approach the Scripture. And that's all that he's saying here. These people, if they were acting like they already knew it all, they were just proving their ignorance. Verse 3 says, But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And all this means is that we should never be preoccupied with what we know, but we should be preoccupied with who knows us. That should be our, the most important thing, that God knows us. And notice it says here, notice it says if anyone loves God. Now I want to point something out here because it has something that has to do with love, which is a big part of our message today. You know, you can ask probably anyone who says they believe in God, do you love God? And they're going to say, yeah, I love God. Everyone loves God, right? I remember Jake, one time my son was talking to an older man who I'm pretty sure wasn't a Christian. And Jakey said, Jakey's my little evangelist. He said, do you love God? And he was probably five then. And the guy said, yeah, everybody loves God. Well, not really. Because when you understand what the word love means biblically, and there are many Greek words for love. This one is agape. And this means to be devoted to. This means to lay down your rights for someone. That's what love is. To lay down your selfish desires for someone. And this is what Christ did for us. He laid down everything for us. And, and it, we're going to look at a verse a little bit later that shows us that's how we know love. And so... Loving God, loving God means laying down what you might want to do but you think is wrong for Him. And that means that every time we are in a season of sin, every time we sin, we're not loving God. We're not loving God at that moment. Jesus made this clear in John 14, 15, where He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So loving God is keeping His commandments. See, love is a verb. It's an action. 
It's something that we can be either doing or not doing. If a man says he loves his wife and he goes out and commits adultery on the weekend, he was not loving his wife. And so, in the same way, God says, if we are devoted to Him, we love Him. And that's what He's calling us to do here. He's calling us to love Him. So the, the little takeaway from this section is this. Knowing God's Word matters, but, but loving God matters more. Loving God matters more. None of us love God perfectly. None of us love God with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds. None of us, because if we did, we wouldn't sin. That's the goal, though. That's what we're called to. And so, loving God matters more. Now, we've already discussed, discussed verses 4 through 6, so we're going to skip over them since we've talked about them. But remember Rusty and Cindy from the opening illustration? Uh, Rusty knew that stepping on the cracks didn't really hurt mother's backs, but he was doing them, and Cindy was getting uh, very upset at it. Well, we're going to see here a picture of, of how that was playing out more in the Corinthian church, starting with verse 7. Verse 7 says, However, not all possess this knowledge. In other words, there are some Cindy's there in the church. Not everybody there knows that this meat is just meat, and those idols are just idols, and it's okay. Not everybody has that knowledge. But some, now pay attention, this is important, some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Some through former association with idols. Paul wants us to understand here, he wants them to understand that People have pasts. People, people have histories. Just like those in Corinth who used to worship at the idol's temple. They had a former association, a very real connection with what was going on in the idol's temples. And it's interesting here how, how Paul doesn't correct those people in this chapter at all. He's not saying, hey, you should know this, people. Ignorance is no excuse. You should know. He, he's not correcting the people who don't know. He's correcting the stronger people, the people with knowledge, the people who have knowledge, the people who have understanding. Those are the people he's coming at in this chapter because with greater knowledge comes greater responsibility. And that's what Paul's saying here. You, you are responsible for how you respond to these people that don't have a lot of knowledge, and you need to consider them. You need to remember that they have a history. They have a past. And so they can't divorce this whole temple scene from the piece of steak laying on the plate in front of them. They just can't do it. They, they cannot eat that stuff with a clear conscience. And that's what we see at the end of verse 7. Their conscience becomes defiled. That means... They just feel like they're doing something wrong. They can't eat this meat. They feel like I'm sinning if I eat this meat. And we actually, when we taught through Romans, if we had time, we would look back at chapter 14 
where it establishes that it actually is sin for them to eat meat. Because whatever is not from faith is sin. In the context of that chapter, it's saying, if you don't have a clear conscience, like you don't feel like God's given you the green light to do it, and you do it, it's sin. And so it is sin for them to eat this meat. So see, sin isn't so black and white. It's, it's kind of subjective at times. It might not be a sin for you to eat that meat, but it might be a sin for him. It might not be a sin for you to drink that beer, but it might be a sin for him. So we're going to talk more about that. But these people, because of their conscience, couldn't, they just couldn't do it. It's, it's important for us to consider other people and realize that we don't know what they've been through in the past. We don't know, like, I don't know, maybe Cindy's mom was paralyzed in an accident or something and had her back broken. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's why she cried. Maybe um, when you're at your, your camp and your uncle's girlfriend who just became a Christian is really struggling when she's watching you guys play your poker game, maybe she's a, a recovering gambling addict. We, we don't know. We don't know people's past. We don't know people's temptations. And so we need to just be considerate. And that's, the, that's really the takeaway from this little section. If you want to take away something from this little section of the message, it's people have pasts. Be considerate. See, the Corinthians weren't doing that. They were just doing their own thing, right? Hey, this is right. I can do it. It's cool. I'm not breaking the law. That's why Paul says in, this, in chapter 10, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And we're supposed to be loving. So people have pasts. We need to be considerate of their pasts. So we might be thinking, okay, who's right then? If these people are sinning, if they eat the meat, but these, you know, and so they shouldn't eat the meat, but these people can eat the meat. Like that's a lot of times where my mind goes, well, I want to know who's right. I want to know what's right. And that's not even the right question. That's what Paul says in verse 8. He says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. See, it's not about right or wrong. It's about love. He's saying you're not, it's not going to benefit you if you don't eat that meat and it's not going to benefit you if you do eat that meat. It's not going to hurt you if you don't. It's not going to hurt you if you do. The meat is irrelevant. There's, the meat makes no difference. It's not about the meat. That's what Paul's saying here. There's more to it than meets the eye. Just thought of that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, verse 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. He's speaking here to which side? Think about this. Which side is he speaking to? Is he speaking to the people who can't eat the meat? Is he speaking to the people who can? Obviously, he's speaking to those who he's calling stronger, who can eat the meat. They don't have a sensitive conscience about it. And he's addressing them and saying, hey, you don't want this to become a stumbling block. You might have the right to do it, but you shouldn't exercise that right if it's going to make your brother or sister stumble. A stumbling block is just something that, that you or I can do 
that causes our brother to, that puts an obstacle in front of our brother's spiritual growth, causes them to sin, our brother or sister. That's all that the stumbling block is. Now, let, let me give you a good example of a positive example of this. Like Paul's saying, verse 9, take care that this right of yours. In other words, he's saying, hey, you're responsible for making sure that you're not doing anything that causes your brother or sister to stumble. And uh, I want to take this opportunity to, to give you an example of something I've seen recently in the past here in the church, which was, I think, commendable. There were some young ladies in, in the, the church who became aware that some guys were really struggling, having a hard time, like, not, like, staring a lot and lusting after them because they were wearing some stylish clothes. And they had the right to wear those clothes. But because after they became aware of this, they laid down that right. And they made some modifications to their dress in this certain gathering. And, man, I thought, that is commendable because these girls didn't have to do that. But they did it for the, the weaker brother. And I will say the weaker brother because these guys, these guys were weak. And they admitted to it. And they said, hey, we're, we're weak. We're having a really hard time here. And are, are these guys responsible to control their eyes and their minds? Absolutely. And I, I mention that to many of the, I mention that to guys all the time. They're responsible. These girls didn't have to do this, but they did it out of love for their brothers. And I thought, wow, that's a great example. They didn't want to put a stumbling block out in front of them. So they laid down their rights. That's, there's some mature young ladies in this church that do things like that. So the, the takeaway here, rights can become stumbling blocks. Be responsible. Be responsible. Rights can become stumbling blocks. So back to Corinth. Um, we'll look at verse 9 and 10 here. We did cover 9, but I want to uh, put it in for context. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So that he's going to say in 10, what happens when you become a stumbling block? What happened to the people in Corinth when they just ate the meat? For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? So Paul's, Paul's saying, hey, some of you people, I mean, it's, you're not just eating meat in the privacy of your home. You're actually going out to the idol's temple and eating this meat there. They had like, kind of like restaurants in these idol's temples. And he says, if your brother sees that, won't he be encouraged to do the same? This is, this is what this reminded me of. I heard about, this was a while back, but I had heard about um, a group of Christians, Christian young men who um, there was a newer Christian that they became friends with. And they, these guys, they would go to the bar, they'd go uptown at night, and they would have a few beers. They wouldn't get drunk, but they would have a few beers. And um, they pressured this young guy to go with them. And he didn't want to go. He had a conscience issue with it. And I don't know. Maybe this guy had an alcoholic father that abused him. Maybe he was... He struggled with drunkenness in the past. I don't know why, and it doesn't matter. But he had a conscience issue. He didn't want to drink. But these guys were saying, hey, it's not a sin to drink. It's just a sin to get drunk. You can do this. Come on. Now, I believe they were right, 
It's not a sin to drink. It's a sin to get drunk. And by the way, that's, that's not the only sin that it comes with drinking. I mean, however many of you are under 21, it's a sin for you to drink. So you can't say it's, it's, it's not a sin for anyone to drink because the Bible tells us obey the laws, right? It's the law. Uh, for this guy, maybe he had a strong temptation. And the Bible tells us flee temptation. Maybe drinking was an idol to him. The Bible tells us flee idolatry. So for him to drink, it was a sin. They pressured him. They encouraged him. And he went with them. And what happened was he spent about the next year as a slave to alcohol and had a really hard time and almost destroyed his life. And that led him to do that, that pressure. And so that's all, that's all this is saying right here in verse 10. Be careful. Don't, don't flaunt your knowledge and say, this is okay. If somebody has a conscience issue with it, then same thing, we need to be considerate of them. Another example, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to someone recently who told me that some Christian friends were using a word that was, it was, it's like a word that if I said, is this a swear word? Is this, is this a bad word? Half of you would say yes and half of you would say no. Um, but, and, and I don't know exactly what happened in this situation, but this situation made me think, if someone, I don't think this happened in this situation, but if someone thought this word wasn't a swear word and they just kind of flaunted it and used it to throw it in your face because they don't think it is and they know you're, you're, you have a kind of a conscience issue with that, that would, be, that would be a similar issue here. That would be wrong. That would be what, what's going on in Corinth. So we need to just be considerate of others that have convictions. And this whole thing here with Paul addressing the stronger, what he calls the stronger as opposed to the weaker Christians here, those with a stronger conscience, it reminds me of the Hulk on the Avengers. You know the Hulk? The, the Hulk, he's real strong. He, he, he's strong, but he doesn't control it well when he gets angry, right? He, he destroys, like, everything in his path. I love the Hulk. He's always been my favorite character, but he just, he doesn't have a lot of regard for the things going on around him. He's trying to do good, but he's, like, destroying buildings and smashing cars, and so there's a lot of collateral damage, and uh, that's, that's what Paul's saying here. Watch out. There's a lot of collateral damage whenever you act this way, and as a matter of fact, that's what he says in verse 11. He says, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. We might not even realize what we're doing to this, weak, this person with the weak, sensitive conscience. But it could be destroying him. Just like the guy who, who went to the bar against his conscience. It could be destroying him. So we have to ask ourselves, by our conduct, have we encouraged anyone? Have we participated in this kind of thing? And here's what happens. This is destroying him. Like you might be thinking, Paul, destroy him? Really? Is that, that's a little extreme. But no, it's not. Because what can happen is the way the Bible talks about our conscience, our conscience, if you do something that goes against your conscience, your conscience begins to deaden. It begins to get callous. It's like, it's like if you have sensitive skin and you start doing a lot of work, hard work, you get these calluses on your hand and you can't, can't feel it as much, right? 
the more the, the thicker the callus grows, the less you can feel it. And there are stages of a, a hardened heart, a hardened conscience, where eventually the Bible talks about something called a seared conscience. You, the nerves are seared. You can't even, you don't even care anymore. You just do it. And that's the slippery slope. That's, that's the, the slow fade of somebody who violates their conscience. This is why it's so important for us not to do this and for us not to encourage others to do this. So the takeaway here is irresponsible use of our freedom can destroy our brother. And just as a side note, I know some of you are probably thinking this. Not everybody who, not everybody who appears to be able to handle a drink, not everybody who appears to be able to pick whatever, watch an R-rated movie, not everybody who appears to be able to play a game of, innocent game of poker with their friends, not everybody is the strong Christian. There are a lot of Christians out there, and maybe some in this room, who you might think you're a strong Christian, but you, you just really have a seared conscience because you gave in one time and your heart became hardened. And now you feel like, I can do these things. I can, I can, have, I can have a couple glasses of wine each evening. And you think you're strong, but really you're not. You're not in control. It's controlling you. You take it away and the Hulk comes out. So that, that could be something going on. And I believe that happens a lot in Christianity. So I wanted to put kind of a side note qualification there that really we need to examine ourselves. Are we really strong in this area? Like because we have knowledge or is it just something that we've given into over the years? So that's something that you can kind of ask yourself and pray about. Verse 12 goes on, Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Paul's saying, it's not just that you're sinning against your brother. Jesus Christ takes this kind of stuff personally. This is a big deal. Paul wants to get that across. This is a big deal. When we do this, we are sinning not just against our brothers and sisters, but against Christ. Jesus said that as much as you do it to the least of one of these, you do it to me. And so we need to think of it that way. These are people that he's died for and he loves very much. And so we need to love them. Maybe a takeaway here would be wounding a conscience of a brother is a sin against Christ. So how can we make sure that we never let this happen? If this is such a big deal, which it obviously is, how can we make sure that we never let this happen? How can we, how can we take, take this information and just be sure that we don't put stumbling blocks out? Well, Paul closed this chapter off in verse 13 with his pretty extreme philosophy. And that is, verse 13, Therefore, Paul says, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. You can see how important this is to Paul. This is kind of like when Paul said, 
If it'll save others, I'll, I would die and go to hell. I would forfeit my eternal life for them. That's an extreme philosophy. He's saying here, I will never eat meat. And this in the Greek is a double negative, which is the most extreme, intense form of negative. It's, it's why it's translated never instead of not. He's, it's, I will, I will never eat meat if that, if that makes my brother stumble. He's not saying don't eat meat. He's saying, but if it makes my brother stumble, I would never eat meat. So it's pretty extreme. And uh, that's one of the ways that we can ensure if we have that attitude, we're going to be okay. So the takeaway here is love requires sacrifice. Love requires personal sacrifice. And um, I want to end the message by pointing us to the most extreme example of sacrifice that we've ever had because I know this can be hard. This is kind of a difficult call to lay down our rights for our brothers and sisters. You know, but I have this liberty in Christ. I have this freedom in Christ. I can do this. Oh, but they're kind of putting a cramp in my style because they have an offend, they're having a conscience issue with it. That can be difficult. So where do we get the power to do this? We get it from the source of the one who did this for us. And I want to end with 1 John 3.16 because if you don't understand this, then none of this other stuff is going to really make sense. But if you understand this, you're going to have hope for this message. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love. Okay, so here we're going to learn what love is. We're going to see what real Christian love is. And it says that he, that's referring to Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The laying down of his life, it's not just referring to his death. It's referring to his whole life. It's referring to his his. his his response or his rights Jesus had the right to do whatever he wanted he laid them down for us his desires there were times as a human Jesus did not desire to die on the cross where he said father if there's another way take this cup from me now he definitely wanted to but he was having apprehensions but he did it for us he laid down that desire to find another way for us there were times when he was tempted, the Bible tells us. He laid down those temptations for us. He laid down his life for us. Jesus, here's the thing. Jesus, when he was on the earth as a man, never did a selfish thing, ever. Not once did he do anything self-serving. Everything he did, he did it with others in mind. He did it with the will of his Father and love for others in mind. And he did that even to the point of death on the cross. That's true love. That's what true love is. So the only thing, if we think about this, that keeps us from loving others is selfishness. Really, that's the only thing. The, the, the opposite of love isn't really hate. The opposite of love is self. Because love is putting others first. So when we are selfish, we're not loving. When I was, when I was little, my mom taught me how to, um, how to remember this idea and how to have real joy. And I want to end with this, this acronym that she taught me. And I think this is really relevant for this message. How do you have joy? Well, think of the word joy. The J stands for Jesus. And if you put him first, because the J comes first, 
That's going to lead to joy. The O comes next. That stands for others. That's what our message is calling us to do. Put others next. Think about them. And the Y in joy stands for you. And that's you because you come last. And if we have that attitude, we will really have the joy of the Lord. Let me just go over those takeaways one more time in case you missed them. Being right matters, but, be, but relationships matter even more. Knowing God's Word matters, but loving God matters more. People have pasts. Be considerate. Rights can become stumbling blocks. Be responsible. Irresponsible use of our freedom can destroy our brother. Wounding a conscience of a brother is a sin against Jesus Christ. And love requires sacrifice. Let's end with prayer. Father, we, uh, we thank you for sending Jesus to lay down your life for us, Jesus. We, we ask you to show us if there's any way that we're causing a stumbling block. We ask you to help us to just be more considerate of other people and we just ask you to increase our love for one another. We want to do what you've called us to do. And we thank you most of all for your unconditional, sacrificial love for us. And uh, we, we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to end the message here. Um, you guys can have a great week. Don't forget, uh, teens, that uh, we're going to have youth camp and about a mile is going to be there. Um, Talk to you guys later. Have a great week, everyone.